22 in just a moment. I was just thinking uh, a few minutes ago about Christmas's past. I remember as a little boy, grew up out in the country, a long ways from anywhere, in the sticks. And uh, we, we didn't live in one of those houses that was, you could just look through the wall and see the chickens in the yard, but it was uh, not as warm as houses today. It didn't have any insulation in it. But I visited some other kids who, I mean, you could actually see through the wall, the cracks in the wall, the cracks in the floor. You could see the hogs rooting around under the floor on a cold night trying to find a place to get warm. Our house wasn't quite that bad. Uh, we had a, a fireplace, and I remember one particular Christmas that I was sitting on that fireplace. We had a Christmas tree over in the corner, and it was just a cedar tree cut out of the field. And I loved those old trees, loved the smell of them. I, I still like them. If my wife would let me bring one in the house, I'd have a real tree today. Uh, she uh, says they make too much of a mess when they start drying out and twigs get in the carpet and stuff. So I was sitting there looking at the Christmas tree and got the uh, garland wrapped around it and the old big Christmas tree lights. They were like that big, each one. And uh, the tinsel, you know, we had icicles, we called them back in those days. And uh, it's just a mangy-looking old tree, but, boy, it was special to me. And had just a handful of gifts under it. We didn't get a lot of stuff back then like people get now. I mean, people finance their 20-year future on Christmas gifts nowadays, but uh, I don't think it's wise. And my parents were from the Depression days, and so they didn't uh, spend a lot of money on Christmas. We'd usually get kids to get maybe one gift, and it wasn't a very big one, but might get two if they were just little little plastic or tin car truck. But this Christmas that I'm speaking of, I got a special gift. It was a box when I unwrapped it. It was a box of those chocolate-covered cherries. Cherry humps, you know what I'm talking about? How many of you eat those cream, cream chocolates that's got the cherry in the center? I loved those things. I'm sitting on the hearth of the fireplace, and I open up that box, and, man, I'm in hog heaven. I'm eating those things one right after another. And I ate that whole box of chocolates sitting on the hearth of that fireplace. It was nice and warm, and I was just enjoying the daylights out of them. About 2 o'clock in the morning, those cherries took effect. And, man, I was so sick, I threw up my socks. <laughs> and I was so sick, I hated those things. I mean, and everybody used to give them away at Christmas. That was one of the gifts that people loved to get. And... For the next 20 years, I hated the sight of one of them. So that's how my beautiful Christmas turned out that time. I've got some better memories, though, where it wasn't the cherry humps. Genesis chapter number 22, and this is a very familiar story. I want to talk to you about your faith tonight. How does Genesis chapter 22 in the account of Abraham taking his son Isaac, to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. We begin in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass and took two of his son, young, uh, young men with him and Isaac his son and clave wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Father, I pray that you'd bless us tonight. Help us to examine our faith. And Lord, we pray that you'd increase our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk about faith tonight. You know the Bible tells us to be strong in the faith. And I want us to think tonight about our faith and just think on that for a little while. We're going to examine our faith and test our faith because it's been said, and I think it's true, a faith that cannot be tested is a, true, is a faith that can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. I mean, just think about it. Would you want to fly on an airplane that had never been tested before. I mean, they, they just put it together out there in the shop and rolled it out on the runway and said, here, get in and fly in this thing. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd kind of like to know the thing will actually fly before I get in it. And then I'm not too certain about some of those anyway. I was on the Royal Gorge Bridge in Colorado a couple of years ago. Been on it a number of times, but it was the first time I'd been on the Royal Gorge Bridge, which it's over a thousand feet. How high is that? Twelve hundred, fourteen hundred, something like that, above the above the Arkansas River, and and uh, or is that the Colorado River? Colorado River, isn't it? and it's I think nearly a quarter of a mile high. And when you're walking across it, you're looking down on the river, a couple thousand feet under you, and it looks like a little string laying on the ground. It's so far below you. I'd walked on it before. I. I think we actually drove across it once back in uh, years years ago. It seemed like they used to let cars go across it. They don't don't now. But I had a stroke about four or five years ago. And after I had that stroke, it did something funny to me. I don't know 
exactly why, but after I had that stroke, I became very fearful of heights. If I got on anything, I I couldn't walk up to the edge of a porch and look over the edge of it without my knees getting shaky and I want to get away. You know, I've got fear of heights. And it's kind of mellowed out a little bit now and I'm not as bad as I was. Uh, But there for a while, I didn't didn't even want to climb up on a kitchen chair, man. (laughs) It's scary to me. Well, we were going to, it was with the family, we were going to cross over the Royal Gorge again after doing it several times I got about <clears throat> 50 steps out on that bridge and you can look through the cracks in that thing the boards are nice hefty boards but there's cracks between them about about this big about three quarters of an inch between every board and you can see right under your feet all the way down 2,000 feet and <clears throat> I'm beginning to look through those cracks I knew better I shouldn't have done that but I just couldn't keep from it I'm looking down there and thinking oh me I wonder how long it's been since they replaced these boards. And the further I walked, the shakier I got. My knees got weak. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can make it across. But I'm on the far side, and our car is parked on the other side. We had rode a, a, a skylift across, and so now I'm walking back across. And I think, I've got to get across. That's where my car is. And so I'm walking along there, and, and I guess I'm looking kind of obvious about being a little bit shaky. And the park ranger, one of the park rangers on a four-wheeler is coming across meeting me on the bridge. And I could tell there was sympathy in his eyes. He stopped and, and he said, uh, well, you hadn't got far to go. You're going to make it. And here, here's, here's something to show that we appreciate your bravery. And he gave me one of those little star badges like they give a child for the park ranger, a little park ranger bag. He gave me that plastic badge. And I thought, I wish I could just smack him right in the face. But I, I decided I can make it. Something in my brain, not in my emotions, but somewhere in my brain, said those cracks, Brooks, are not wide enough for you to fall through. You're thicker than an inch. And... Just keep on walking. There's been millions of people across this bridge over the years, and nobody's fell through yet, so you're going to make it. And I kept telling myself till I got to the other side. When I got close to the edge, I got off it as fast as I could. I thought, if it breaks now, I don't have far to go. <laughs> I wouldn't have made it if I hadn't have known it had been tested. And if your faith has not been tested, you don't know if you can depend on it or not. And Abraham's faith is going to be tested in this story that we read tonight. I mean, would you, what about going to the doctor and you're going to have surgery? Would you want to go to a doctor that had never done surgery before? I heard about the guy that was in there for his surgery and he's just shaking all over. He's nervous. And the doctor says, uh, I perceive that you're a little bit anxious about this. He said, I sure am, doc. He said, this is my first surgery. The doctor said, I know just how you feel. This is my first one too. <laughs> I mean, who wants to be tested that way? You know, you want, you want to know your faith is strong. <clears throat> you don't want to be <clears throat> faced with some terrible obstacle someday, the trying of your faith, and never have had your faith tested. Your faith is tested when tests come from God. And in this passage of Scripture, as we see in other places in the King James Bible, the word the word tempt, when it says God tempted Abraham, we know that word is used in two different ways. Uh, when the devil tempts you, it's to tempt you to get you to do wrong. 
When God tempts you, it means it's a test and he's testing you to help you and not hurt you. And so here, the second one is used to test Abraham. He's being tempted in a way that will help him to increase his faith, to be able to acknowledge his faith and to be able to measure his faith and to see where he stands in his faith. And so this is going to be a test for Abraham. And as we go through it tonight, it'll be a test for you and me as well. I mean, you've got to be somewhat empathetic to Abraham. He's got this boy that he loves. He's been promised a son from God for a long time. And finally it's come true. Now he's got that, he's got that boy and he loves him. God has promised to give him the boy. And God did give him the boy. And now God says, I want you to sacrifice the boy. If you've got any empathy about you, you can kind of understand how he might have felt. A very touching thing. I've seen paintings and drawings of this scene where Abraham has his son Isaac bound and Isaac is looking up into the face of Abraham. And Abraham's looking up into the face of his heavenly father. Quite touching. I wonder what Abraham thought as they sat around the campfire the night before. I wonder if Abraham's wondering, when we do this, what will the boy think? How will he feel? What will his last words be? What will his last look be? The major point in this narrative is that Abraham's Abraham's faith is about to be put to the test. And if you're going to measure faith, how would you measure it? I believe you can measure the height and the depth and the wideness of it. And that's what we're going to see tonight. First, we're going to look at the depth of its devotion. Abraham's faith, the depth of of his devotion. Now, it's possible that Abraham had shifted his love from God towards the boy possible. I mean, that is a possibility that a parent can shift their love away from God to their kids. You're to love your kids, but when you love them more than you love God, it's a dangerous place to be. And there's always that danger. Many times people pray and ask God for something, and then when He finally gives it, they love the gift more than the giver of the gift. I love my wife with all my heart. I really do. I love her more than I loved her when we got married over four decades ago. I love her dearly. I mean, I'd sacrifice. I, I would like to hope that I'd be courageous enough to sacrifice my life to protect hers. I love her that much. We're deeply in love. And I mean that. But she knows I love God the most. And that's good for her. It's good that I love God more than I love her because if I'm loving God the more than her or anything else, that's good for her because that will put her in her place of protection and knowing that I'm the man that I ought to be if I love God supremely. Ladies and gentlemen, you ought to love God more than you love your children. You ought to love God more than you love your spouse. You ought to love God more than you love your job. You ought to love God more than you love money. You ought to love God more than friends and anything else. Love God first. Could it be that 
Abraham had taken his devotion that he had placed in God earlier and was shifting it to his son. I guess only God knows. I think back on Simon Peter. The night before the crucifixion, Simon Peter said, as the other disciples were in the presence of the Lord, the Lord had predicted that there would be a kind of a falling away among them as times got tough the next day. Peter said, Lord, they may forsake you. They may run, but not me. That's a dangerous thing to be and say. Because the very next morning, the very next day, Peter fled just like the rest. And on top of that, he had denied the Lord around the devil's campfire. Peter had said, Lord, I love you. I love you so much, I would, I would die with you. But he didn't. He failed in his love. He overestimated his love for the Lord. And then after the crucifixion and the resurrection, then when Jesus says, I need to gather all my disciples together again, and he said, oh yes, bring Peter along too. I like it when the Lord sees that I failed and he's willing to bring me back again, don't you? Because <laughs> I need that often. And when they were gathered around the campfire and eating some fish, Jesus asked Peter a very piercing question. All the disciples are gathered around. The boat's there, the fish are there. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Simon, do you love me? He said, yeah, yeah, I love you. He said, do you love me more than these? Now some people think when Jesus said, do you love me more than these, that he was talking about the fish. Do you love me, Peter, more than you love fishing? I don't think that's what he meant. Some people do. I wouldn't have fallen out with them over it. Some people say that, well, what he's talking about is the fishing equipment, the boats, the nets. Do you love me more than you love these? I don't think that's what he meant. I think since Peter had denied the Lord after having said, I love you, Lord, more than all of these other disciples before his crucifixion, I believe now Jesus is getting him to size up his faith. Peter... Do you really love me more than these guys, like you said? Kind of broke Peter's heart. I think, I think we have to be broken sometimes to really size up our faith and our devotion to the Lord. Do you love somebody more than you love Jesus? Do you love Fashion that cancels out modesty. You used to dress a certain way and now fashion says, well, you can't dress that way. They'll make fun of you. You've got to dress like the rest of the world. Do you love friends that demand your fidelity above that that you give to Christ? That you'll forsake Him in order to go with them? Do you love fickleness? It fights against your consistency. Instead of being dedicated to the Lord round the clock, week in, week out, are you up and down on the roller coaster? What's the size of your faith? I guess we could give the title, The Size of Your Faith, to the message. 
If you have something you love more than Jesus, get thee to Moriah and sacrifice your Abraham. Abraham's faith was measured by the depth of its, of its devotion. Then your faith, the size of your faith, is measured by the height of its sacrifice. Now Abraham had went up to Mount Moriah. It's not a particularly high mountain, 2,700 feet above sea level. Not very high. <clears throat> but no man has ever climbed higher than Abraham and Isaac climbed that day in sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Sacrifice will go to any heights if there's love there. In Hebrews eleven seventeen, it talks about this same episode. And he says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. He did this by faith. By faith. He offered up Isaac. That's in his heart. It was done. Now, did Isaac bleed that day? Did the knife plunge into his chest? No. But did Abraham offer him? He certainly did. Indeed, he did. In Abraham's heart, he went immediately to Moriah and bound up the boy and laid him on the altar. And when he laid him on the altar, he was as good as dead in Abraham's heart. He was as good as offered and as good as sacrificed. It was done as far as Abraham was concerned. When we love the Lord, we'll go to any height of sacrifice to sacrifice for him. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his future. He was willing to sacrifice his family. He was willing to sacrifice his fellowship. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son. Now I'm curious. If the angel had not stopped him and if he had actually slain Isaac as he intended to do, I'm just wondering how we would explain that to Mrs. Abraham when he got home. That might have been difficult. And it might have made a pretty hard home life for a little while, but thank God, God interceded and there was a substitute sacrifice. There's a third way we measure our faith. Are you with me so far? It's depth, it's height, and then the length of its obedience. Test your faith by the length. How far will it go? Well, we're not saved by works and faith, we're saved by faith. But we're saved by faith that works. According to James, we have a faith that works when we believe on him. And this faith, when God said to Abraham, I want you to take the boy and go to Mount Moriah and you offer him there for a burnt offering. Would you please notice with me in the scripture that Abraham didn't go and have a season of prayer for a few days to see if he wanted to do that or not. He didn't go and find friends and ministerial associations to confer with and get their input and their counsel. God had spoken and Abraham said, I'll go. It was immediate. The length of his faith was that he would go to the end of the world for the Lord. He wouldn't stop and try to figure out whether this is the right thing to do or not. God had spoken and he was willing to do it. In verse number 3 of chapter 22, it says... And Abraham rose up early in the morning. He didn't try to hesitate. He didn't try to procrastinate. He rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. <coughs> and they went immediately. 
to Mount Moriah. They headed out that same morning and they got right on it. There was no hesitation. There was no consultation. God, Abraham said, I must obey. And he went. Now do you have faith? What's the dearest thing you own? And would you sacrifice it? Would you go that far to give up what you love dearly if you knew the Lord wanted you to? Would you do it? You see, sometimes we say, sure I would, but we put God in a little box where he's not the kind of God that would ask us to do something that required real sacrifice. Real sacrifice will sacrifice at any cost. Do you have faith to obey God immediately, instantaneously? Sometimes we get a little slow when we think God wants us to do something. We say, boy, in our heart, we're not saying it out loud, but in our heart we say, I've got to figure out a way to justify not doing this. I believe God's asked me to do it, but I've got to figure out a way why I would be theologically correct to not do it. We find theological justification for every disobedience we do just about. You know it's true. We figure out a way to make it doctrinally accurate for us to disobey Him. <clears throat> we lose our energy. I mean, we can be on fire for the Lord in a lot of different ways, but then suddenly He wants us to sacrifice something. Maybe He's going to ask you to tithe. Maybe He's going to ask you to change the way you dress. Maybe He's going to ask you to give up some worldly friend. Maybe He's going to ask you to change jobs. Maybe He's going to ask you to sacrifice financially. Maybe he's going to ask you to start disciplining your children. Maybe he's going to ask you to do something that you really don't want to do. And you know it's in here, but you begin to reason and say, I don't think I want to do that immediately. I'll think it over. And we lose some of our energy for the Lord. We're kind of like like the old man. The elderly man was filling out an application for a retirement village. And uh, on the application, he's filled in all his personal information. He gets down there, got his address down, and asked as the question uh, for his zip. And he filled in the blank. Pretty good for my age. And that's why some of us think, well, I, I got enough spiritual zip as long as the Lord's asking me to do something within my capability, within something that, that I desire to do. But I'm not going to sacrifice a lot. Yeah. Procrastination, when God speaks to you, is a form of sin. If he says, I want you to do it, what's our job? If our faith is as big as we want it to be, if it's as big as Abraham's faith, we won't sit and and hover over it with our mind and our heart for ages. We'll just get up and do it. Make the decision. I think we live in an indecisive world, don't you? People know what God wants them to do, but they won't do it. And that's sin. Sometimes God has to take us to a place of heartbreak or tragedy to show us our faith was not as big as we thought it was and how we should have went a little further. A number of years ago, 
quite a few years ago. Our ministry was really young here, and uh, we had a men's camp out, and we went up to uh, Lock 2 above Batesville on White River, and there's a nice sandbar up there, and, and we were going to camp out there overnight and fish a little and cook supper and then camp out overnight and cook breakfast the next day and fish a little and maybe swim a little and then go home. It was dead summertime, hot. you know. And the river's pretty cold, but in July or August, it's a pretty nice time to be in that cool river. Well, we were going into Baseville, and we drop off of the mountain there, and there's a body shop on the right. And uh, we hadn't bought any bait yet, and we saw this sign for bait. And I recognized the, the body shop that was selling the bait belonged to a fellow that grew up just about a mile from me in the next county north, Charlie Adkisson. Charlie was a little older than me. He's about the age of my older brother. And I had some tracks in my pocket and I went in and was asking Charlie about the bait and all and we, were, we got some bait and <clears throat> or he was directing us where we get some bait and didn't have a lot of time got all these guys we probably had 10 or 15 guys maybe or more with us and we're going camping and so we didn't really have a lot of time to burn up because you know supper time's coming on night time's coming we got to get up there and get our camp made so I, I knew the Lord wanted me to witness to Charlie I hadn't seen him since I was a kid, and I knew he was probably not a Christian. So I asked Charlie about his relationship to the Lord, and he just kind of brushed it to the side gently, you know, because we'd been friends a long time ago. Well, I thought I don't have time really to uh, spend with him anyway, so I, I gave him a gospel tract and said, well, hope to see you again soon, Charlie, and I walked out the door, and we went camping. The next week, I read in the paper, Charlie was killed in an automobile accident, drunk. And I thought, why didn't I stay a little longer? I put it off. I knew I needed to talk to him about the Lord, but I kind of half-heartedly did it. And when I found out that Charlie was dead, my heart was broken for him. Procrastination can become a sin, you know, when God tells you to do something, we just need to do it immediately. It ought to be intelligent obedience. Well, I don't want to be like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> but when we know what the Word of God teaches and we know what God has laid on our heart to do, we ought to do it immediately, but intelligently. And when I say intelligently, sometimes we, we make those justifications for being disobedient to God. I was in Oklahoma City years ago and uh, going to Bible college and we were working on houses. We're, my partner and I were, uh, were building houses or we were actually building cabinets and trimming out houses uh, out in Yukon, Oklahoma, uh, outside Oklahoma City. And we were working at night and there were several other tradesmen working in the same area, but the only other guy that worked nights like we were, were were the painters. And they could come out and not get in anybody's way at night because... They would shut those houses up and uh, keep the dust from getting in, and they could paint without anybody going in and out the doors, and they could lacquer those cabinets and make a good finish on it without uh, any dust floating in from an open door. So he would, he would work out there, the painter. And we'd go over and visit with him, Pete and I, the buddy I was working with. We'd go and visit with him when he was painting cabinets in our neighborhood or in our, on our block. So it was supper time one night, and we decided to take our sandwich and go over and visit with the painter. And... Uh, 
He said, you know, <clears throat> he knew we were Christians. We talked, we'd witness to him. He said he'd say, he said, you know, I think uh, the Lord's leading me to leave my wife. He said, there's a younger woman that I'd really like to marry. He said, I think God's wanting me to leave my wife and, and marry this younger woman. I said, what makes you think that? He said, I just, I just feel it. I said, well, what you're feeling is not biblical. I said, the Bible preaches and teaches against fornication. And for you to leave your wife for another woman would be fornication. And I'm saying he was willing to obey God when it meant that he was making up the rules himself and disagreeing with what the scriptures already say. You see, we can't make up our own rules. We go by what God wants. And that's what we mean by making an intelligent decision to move forward immediately for God. And when we informed him of what the Bible says, then he didn't want to move forward with that at all. He wanted to stay in his sin. So we have to make an immediate decision when it comes to obeying God. And it needs to be an intelligent decision, an intentional one. Now I've got one more I want to share with you. The size of your faith. How deep is it? How high is it? How long is it? And then how wide is it, number four? The wideness of your faith's confidence. And as I'm exposed to these things, studying and preaching it, I find that I fall way short of where I want to be. When we actually measure our faith by biblical standards, it turns out often to be a lot smaller than what we thought. It's depth, it's height, it's length, and it's wideness. Why was Abraham willing to do this? He's called on to sacrifice his son. Why? Why would he do it? What went through Abraham's mind? I mean, God has already told him he's given him the boy, and he's got the boy, and now he wants him to sacrifice. Well, in Hebrews 11 again, concerning the same narrative, in verse number 17, it says, By faith... Abraham, when he was tried, that's his test. Are you with me? That's his test. By, Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. That is, in his heart and in his mind, it's good as done. And then it goes on to say, in Hebrews, And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac thy seed shall be called. Here it is. God has promised him the son, but along with promising him the son, he also, God promised Abraham that his son was going to be, was going to be the heir of all the seed to follow. That Abraham, you're going to be a grandpa and then a great-grandpa and then you're going to be a great-great-grandpa. Abraham, you're going to be the father of a lot of people and it's all coming through Isaac. So when it came to sacrificing Isaac, Abraham placed his faith in the God that who had already promised, you're going to have children from Isaac. Ah, oh, this must have been a great comfort for Abraham because he knew somehow, some way, this boy Isaac is going to be preserved or resurrected or something because he's going to have children. And so Abraham's faith was trusting in the promises of God. It seemed like it had to be that God's going to make everything come out okay. When your faith is wide and deep and high, 
God has a way of honoring His promises and making it come out okay. You might not see it. You may be facing some difficult decisions like Abraham did. But if your faith is wide enough and tall enough and deep enough, somehow you lean on God's promises and it will come to pass in the best way for you. In verse number 10 of our text, it says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. Now watch this. He said, For now I know thou fearest God. And here's the key to it. Seeing thou hast not withheld thine, thy son, thine only son, from me. So what's all this about? This is about God testing a man's faith. It's, a, it's the bottom line. God really wanted Abraham to be willing to sacrifice his son. He wanted him to be obedient to him. And so this is the heart of the message. Listen, if you love it and God asks for it, let it go. Even though you love it dearly and God asks for it, let it go. Give it up. Give it back to God. No matter what it is. If you love Him supremely. And Jesus taught this in Mark eight thirty four. And when He had called the people unto Him uh, with His disciples also, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. That runs along the same lines. Whatever you love, if God wants you to give it up, give it up. And listen, if it's something He wanted you to have, He'll give it back. Isn't that what He did with Isaac? Abraham loved Isaac dearly. Maybe he loved him a little bit more than he loved God, and that wasn't good. But when Abraham said, I'm willing to give him up, and in his heart he sacrificed Isaac, then God gave the boy back. God said, I just, I want to just show how big your faith is. Now I'm going to give you your son back. Sort of a resurrection. In a figure, that's what it says <laughs> in uh, in Hebrews, it says that it was a resurrection in a figure, a figure or form, a symbol. Abraham said, I, I, I'll sacrifice him. As far as God was concerned, it was done. And God said, okay, I see your faith. Now I'm giving him back to you. And Abraham looked, and there in the thicket was a ram caught by his horns, and the substitutionary ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. It was all as though since the boy was sacrificed in Abraham's heart already, he was good as dead, now he's good as resurrected. And when you give something up, when you give up what you love because God wanted you to, if it's worth having, he'll give it back. But your job is to give it up. Faith is measured by depth, height, length, and wideness. And I ask you tonight, how does your faith... If somebody, if God asked you, what can I give you for Christmas? And if you were to do like some of the disciples and say, well, increase my faith. 
What if God said, well, what size do you wear? What size faith do you wear? Is it as big as Abraham's faith? If your faith is that big, he says, I'll give it back. Whatever you give up, I'll give it back if it's worth you having. Let's bow our heads together. When it comes to testing, our test ought to be quick, intentional, instantaneous, impassioned, and intelligent. If you've never accepted Christ as Savior, you know what He wants you to give up? He wants to give up you to give up your self-will and in repentance of heart, turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And so, Lord, Lord, I give up my will. I know you want me to be saved. And I believe Jesus died for me to pay for my sins. And Lord, I'm asking you now to forgive me because of Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. I want you to make me a real Christian. Save me right now. Christian, my prayer for you is that you'd be willing to give up that thing that you hold dear. Give it up. You don't have to give it to me. You don't have to give it to somebody else in this room. But you need to give it up to God. And he may not give it back. If it's something you don't need, he'll keep it. Throw it away. But if it's something you need, something that's good for you, he'll give it back. Father, I pray that you'd bless us in this time of invitation. I pray that you'd make our hearts tender towards you, Lord. And I pray that every one of us in this room has been honest in sizing up our own faith. And Lord, that we are willing to give up anything that comes between us and you. Lord, I pray for those who are not saved, that they'd receive Christ as Savior tonight. I pray for the Christians who have some obstacle to their faith. They've been unwilling. Maybe it's an emotion. Maybe it's a desire. Maybe it's an object. Maybe it's a person. It could be a number of things. But Lord, I pray that every Christian will be willing to give up that which has come between them and you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. As we head